This episode of Future You is brought to you by Nelnet Campus Commerce, delivering payment technology for a smarter campus, and by Entangled Solutions. This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Welcome to Future You. I'm Jeff Salingo, and I will be joined in a little bit by my co-host, Michael Horn. Today's episode will be one of two that we're going to dedicate to the coronavirus and its impact on higher education. It's a swiftly moving story, of course, with dozens of campuses closing temporarily to students and shifting to providing courses remotely. As a whole, many are comparing to what's happening right now in our lives to 9-11. Within higher education, I think a comparison could also be made to what happened in New Orleans in higher education to higher education institutions in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Many schools there, of course, had just started their fall semester when the storm hit and flooded the city. Colleges and universities closed, and students spread out to other campuses around the country for the semester. There was a real concern about whether institutions in the city would ever come back. At the time, I was an editor at The Chronicle, and over Labor Day weekend that year, flew to Houston to spend a few days with the senior administration of Tulane University, who had decamped to a hotel there. I was a fly on the wall of the university's war room, led by its president at the time, Scott Cowan. When the coronavirus started to shut down campuses in the middle of the semester in the last week, I thought back to Scott in those first days after Katrina. So he was the first call I made when we decided to record this episode to talk about the higher ed lessons learned from Katrina and how they might be applied here. Scott Cowan, welcome to Future You. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jeff. I always enjoy being with you, but not for the reason we're talking today, but uh, I'll be delighted to help in any way I can. Uh, Great. So, Scott, it's been 15 years since campuses in New Orleans closed temporarily in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. What do you think we've learned about interrupting a semester for an entire campus? Do you think that institutional leaders are better prepared today than they would have been in in 2005? And and where do you think campuses might still fall short in their planning? I, I think they are better prepared today than they were in 2005. But I don't know that they were actually prepared and had thought about contingency plans for a pandemic. So one of the outcomes of 2005 and Hurricane Katrina, Jeff, is I think all institutions went back and began to really think seriously about risk management for the entire institution. If you recall, we we not only had the hurricane, but there were shooter uh, incidents on campuses uh, 10, 15 years ago. And everybody began to look at uh, risk management much more broadly than they had ever done before, uh, thinking about, well, if there was a hurricane, what would we do? Uh, if there was a shooter, what would we do? If there was a bomb in a building, what would we do? And I think that was one of the outcomes, quite honestly, of Hurricane Katrina, people expanding their view of risk uh, enterprise management. However, I doubt that anyone had on the risk uh, uh, matrix uh, there could be a, t- a pandemic. I simply don't believe they probably had. There may have been few. Uh, For sure, after this uh, pandemic, will be on everybody's radar screen from here on end. I do think, though, uh, people, and I'm not sure how many, uh, began to think about what if we had to close, what would we do? Uh, So I think there were a few who had done that. Uh, If you come to today, uh, it's hard for me to say how many were really prepared for it. My guess is is, uh, there's a month a lot more use of technology today than there was 15 years ago. Uh, and the technology now is, is being used to uh, deal with students and academic programs hereafter. But I think uh, for the most part, they're doing it on the fly. They're learning from each other. 
Uh, you know, if you look at the notices that are coming out from the various institutions, there's a great deal of similarity in what everybody is saying to everyone. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of co-learning going on, and I think that's good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So uh, I don't think people had planned for a pandemic. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it's later in the academic year, which also helps that it's, it's happening, you know, in March as opposed to September or October. Uh, so they have more flexibility. So, Scott, a, a lot of decisions are being made on the fly right now, right? And, and again, similar to what you had to do, because uh, there is really no playbook for this, as you as you described. Right. Um, so if, if campus leaders are triaging their decisions, right, what, what do you think they should be thinking about first, right, like in the coming days, uh, if they've already made this decision? And then like next week and the week after, when you think about triaging decisions, how, how, how do you think about doing that in terms of what needs to, what needs to be made when? Yeah, the, the couple of things they're doing right away, which I think make a lot of sense, is obviously at a time like this, the safety, welfare of faculty, students, and the staff is most important, and I think they're focused on that. The second thing I think they're doing reasonably well is is that they're communicating. Uh, you can never communicate enough at a time like this. People are anxious. They want to know what's happening, and information and transparency actually helps them an awful lot. Uh, now that I think the next task is to say, okay, um, we've now got this settled out at least for the next month or two. Students are going back home. We're online. What does this mean for the future? And this is where they should be setting up work streams for every particular functional area, whether it's admissions, whether it's finances, whether it's student housing, you name it. And they ought to be saying, okay, uh, let's assume worst case scenario that we could be closed for six months or a year. What we would do in that particular case, if it's less than that, you know, we could always escalate backwards, if you will. So I think it's key to get the work streams going and people thinking about uh, if we're closed for three, six, nine months, what would we be prepared and what should we do in each particular functional area of the institution? So clearly it's, it's obvious about the academics. You might be able to do that through technology for a while. But the other part that I think they have to start thinking longer term is what is the financial impact of all of this on their institutions, not just, you know, in the next few months, but in the next few years. Because the other thing they have to contend with at the same time they're thinking about that is, is what's happening to the stock market, which means what's going to happen to fundraising. So every revenue stream really has to be pressure tested over, you know, the uh, over the next year to say, okay, what flexibility do we have financially? What flexibility don't? And then based on that, what do we do about cost structures? And that leads to a lot of other questions. Yeah. So Scott, that leads to a, a great question that I see online right now on, on Facebook groups among parents uh, about paying for college. There's all these questions now around refunds. Um, uh, and, you know, this is a demand where, you know, parents and students are saying, hey, we're not living in your dorms. We're not eating your food. You know, we're still getting instruction. Um, uh, so what, what, how do you, how, you know, how, how do you handle this as a, as an institution? Uh, you know, Harvard already announced, of course, they have a ton of money, right? They've already announced they're going to prorate, but many other institutions can't um, deal with that. So how do you, as an institution, uh, handle such demands where, where parents are, are, are clamoring for potential refunds? Yeah, well, first of all, what you do is acknowledge that, you know, that we, un we understand why they're asking for that. But I think what people have to do is to say, listen, we need some time to assess uh, the magnitude of this. 
and it may take a month, it may take two months. We're keenly aware of your questions. We're very sympathetic to them, but we don't know the full scale of this right now. And until we do, it, it, it's hard to respond. Now, they'll find the right words for it. But I, I think it's, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Jeff, I think for people to come out right now, unless you have a lot of money and know that you can uh, handle what's the future by making decisions right now, you know, I would appeal to people to say, we hear you. We want to respond to you. We need more time because they do need more time, quite honestly. Um, this is all about, uh, as you know, uh, this is all about cash now. W what are their cash reserves? What are their lines of credit? What are their expenses going to be? And, you know, the institution has to just not only worry about the students, but all the other aspects of the institution. And to be responsible to all stakeholders, I think they have to do that holistically, not just do it, you know, for one group versus another. Right. So cash is king, right? But we know that many we know that many institutions are already living on the brink of, of financial sustainability, right? When I look at even these Moody's reports, they talk often about, you know, cash flow. Uh, does this just really um, ratchet it up for, for some of these institutions? Or, you know, what, what can they do? If you're a board member of those institutions, what would you be recommending uh, that they potentially do? First of all, I think it will ratchet it up. Let's be honest about it. Um, because if they're already on watch lists, uh, this is only going to exacerbate the situation uh, going forward. Plus, they'll have the extra challenge, if you will, of parents saying, well, listen, I know they're on the cusp anyway financially. Now this happens. Do I really want my children, my child to go back or even come if they've been accepted? So I think this is particularly uh, uh, problematic for those that are on the cusp uh, financially. Um, what can they do? You know, this is where you start uh, doing contingency planning right now and just say, you know, what are the possibilities? That's all you can do is pressure test every revenue stream, every cost and say, you know, how long can I sustain, if you will, a situation like this? Can I make it for three months? Can I make it for a semester or a year? Um, so it's, it's sitting and doing the analytical and hard work of it. But but I, I would agree with you. I, I think this will accelerate. Uh, if you will, uh, perhaps some closures of institutions around the country that were on the cusp. So, Scott, I want to talk a little bit about the residential aspect of this, because, you know, most of these are, are residential colleges, which have a community, right? So it's not just about taking classes, but you're spending time together, and that's part of the learning process. When you had your students kind of spread around the country uh, for a semester, how did you kind of try to maintain the community aspect of a residential campus when they actually weren't on campus. Yeah, uh, and I can't say that we actually did that, Jeff, uh, to tell you the truth. What I did, though, was I went to all the major cities uh, in the United States. Literally, I went and met with students uh, in them. So because we had clusters, if you will, you know, uh, the Northeast, there was a big cluster there in New York and Massachusetts and so on. So I fanned out, as well as many of my senior people fanned out, every time we could uh, to where there was a large collection of Tulane students and talked to them and answered questions and whatever we could do. Um, and that was the, really the best of it. Um, now, I will tell you, there'll be a camaraderie around students also. Uh, they love their institutions that they go to, and they will find one another in these places. Um, and hopefully that, you know, there'll be some leadership among the students and they'll get together. 
So many times because of an incident like this, um, and this is different from Katrina in some very important ways, but, but I think they love their institution and uh, they themselves will find a way to create some community within their home community. Uh, but the university can facilitate it by uh, having, if you will, uh, once again, uh, online conversations with students. Uh, we did that all the time where they could call in and see me and uh, or hear me, and I would answer questions. So anything you can do to be visible. You may also recall, and you wouldn't do it now, we actually kept our uh, athletic teams in place. Uh, so that was a rallying point every place around the country where they played. But technology does allow access of leadership to the students, and I would be using that access just to have town hall meetings and everything needed to give them information and answer questions. Uh, so, Scott, what did you learn years later about that cohort of students whose semester was um, was interrupted? Did, were they any more or less committed as students when they returned as alumni, or is it, or, or did they just kind of turn out to be like everybody else over time? No, they they, they turned out to be very special, Jeff. They are probably amongst <laughs> the most loyal and affectionate to Tulane of any. I constantly get uh, letters after all these years about their time afterwards and how special it was, what it meant to them. And, and the reason why, and this is why it's different, though, is um, many, they came back, many of them, and what they did was they, part, they uh, contributed to the recovery of New Orleans and Tulane. They really rolled up their sleeves and got involved, and, um, and that was so key uh, to everybody. So I find them to be loyal, to be passionate about the institution, um, and with the benefit of hindsight, they, they normally always tell me they learned a lot there about resilience. Um, and how to deal with dire situations. So um, it, it was much more than that. Very few students just wiped their hands and walked away and say, I could care less about New Orleans and Tulane. So, Scott, you mentioned uh, faculty and staff and kind of communicating with them uh, early on when you, we were talking about the triage here. You know, obviously, universities have multiple constituencies, right? Faculty and uh, faculty and staff. Uh, and uh, they also have, you know, obviously students and alumni, uh, donors, you know, bo the board. Uh, you know, how often do you keep in touch with the board? Like, so as you think about the different constituencies on campus, do you also have to think, how often you have to uh, communicate with them. You talked about communicating often. Does that mean with everybody, or do you also triage among those? You triage, but you, you, you get a rhythm with everybody. So you decide, you know, your most important audiences right away are faculty, staff, and students because they're there. Uh, but then you prioritize stakeholder groups, and you get a rhythm of communication with them. Because what people want to expect is, is they just don't want the random um, you know, uh, email or communication. They'd like to know, well, listen, once a week, I'm going to send a note out to the alumni group to let them know what's happening. I'm going to do this with the board. Um, so you get a pattern and a rhythm of communication and how frequently you do it depends on, uh, you know, the stakeholder group, but clearly those that are closest to you on a day-to-day -day basis, which are faculty, staff, and students and parents, 
uh, many times you, you try to communicate more with them. So Scott, two other quick questions. One is that we're, you noted we're at the end of the uh, academic year for, or in the second half and second half of the second semester uh, for many institutions, but we're also nearing the end of a, of a mission cycle. You know, when you closed for the semester, you were at the beginning of an admission cycle. This is like, you know, month of April is a big month for many institutions in terms of, again, that cash flow, keeping those students coming next year. Um, so again, as an institution, you're trying to deal with the here and now, but you also have to kind of worry about what's, what's next. How did you kind of manage that? How, how do you manage the short term and the long term at the same time as a leader? Now, this is where there's a big difference, Jeff, between what we have faced and what's facing now. So when we were there, uh, it affected the universities, obviously, as you know, we're New Orleans. And that put us at a huge competitive disadvantage for years with other institutions around the country for years, where parents didn't want their kids to go to any school in New Orleans because of what happened to, um, uh, to all of us because of Hurricane Katrina. So there was a big difference, and it took us years to recover, quite honestly, uh, the full count of our student body and everything else. Matter of fact, it really took about a decade to, to really fully recover from that. This is different because everybody's going through the same thing. And therefore, I think there will be less concern and damage around admissions than there was for Katrina, because it's happening to everybody around the country. So no one is competitively disadvantaged, if you will. They're all in the same uh, situation. Now, will it have an impact still? It may, because depending on the duration of the crisis, you know, parents may say and university may have to say, you know what, we're not prepared to enroll the class in the fall. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm a university, I'm planning on that right now. My motto would be, you know, uh, plan for the worst and hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And but but I don't think they'll have the kind of issues we had because they're all, as I said, in the same situation. They're all in the same boat. So, Scott, one last one last question, because uh, we're running out of time here. But um, uh, obviously, there's also opportunities in times of crisis. Um, you know, can you see any silver linings for what's happening right now for colleges and, and universities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's two I'll mention right away. Um, this is going to build the resilience capability of everybody. Um, because, you know, they're all having to uh, adapt to the conditions here. That does help develop what I call resilient communities. And quite honestly, looking to the future, the fact there's always going to be something going on, the more resilient people are, the better off they are in institutions. Secondly, uh, you know, once again, they'll go back to their enterprise risk management and uh, think uh, about other kinds of things they haven't thought about because they never thought about the pandemic. And I think we'll improve there. But the third one is, uh, Jeff, what's very interesting is all of a sudden every university is escalating their use of technology rather than their classroom. There's got to be a lot of positive learnings uh, out of that. Um, so I think, you know, one of the silver linings is, is we're testing, you know, our, our systems and our use of technology. Now, that will raise interesting questions, right? Because students will begin to say, well, geez, you know. That actually worked pretty well. Why couldn't we do that as part of our education and lower the cost? And those will be all legitimate questions. So there, there is uh, an opportunity around those three things, I think, uh, especially the use of technology that I think could have a silver lining for students and for institutions rather than just going back to the way they were before. 
And I suspect many institutions will look at that as, as, as an opportunity or a way to rethink about where students learn and how they learn. And does it have to be in the classroom or can it be online or can it be a, connect, a connection? And as you know, uh, many of the institutions around the country are already doing that, but, but many more have to be doing it. And I think the silver lining was, you know, they're, they're getting uh, tested by fire right now. You know, Scott, there were so many case studies that came out around uh, around uh, Katrina and, and Tulane particularly. I, I think there'll probably be many more lessons learned from this. Uh, we'll be talking about this uh, these cases in, in higher education uh, executive programs for, for years to come. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on Future U, and, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. We'll be right back. This episode of Future You is brought to you by Nelnet Campus Commerce. Nelnet Campus Commerce delivers payment technology for a smarter campus. The secure payment solutions for higher education are PCI Level 1 validated and integrate with every major ERP. From payment processing and refunds to payment plans and online storefronts, Nelnet Campus Commerce helps process payments on campus. Learn more at campuscommerce.com. This episode was also made possible with support from Entangled Solutions. If you want to shape the future of education, Entangled Solutions would like to hear from you. Entangled Solutions is hiring smart, mission-driven team members interested in helping world-class institutions solve their most vexing challenges in learning and education. Learn more at entangled.solutions. Welcome back to Future You. I'm now joined uh, by phone from Boston with my co-host, Michael Horn. It's good to have you here, Michael. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Jeff. So I wanted to start with you, Jeff, actually after that interview with Scott, uh, just thinking after Katrina and the analogy that you know the floods made the decision for college administrators in essence, right? There, w- there wasn't another choice to be made. But this crisis is different. There are real questions that people are grappling with. No one's forcing colleges to go online, certainly, or go remote. And so from your perspective, uh, how should college leaders uh, be weighing these decisions and different factors that must come up as they make a, a difficult decision one way or the other? Yeah, so I think part of it is, can they actually pull it off if they're going to go online or even remote learning? Uh, that may be just easier for some campuses uh, than others. Uh, and so I think that if they feel like they can't pull it off, uh, you know, maybe they just close down for a couple of weeks and then reassess the, the situation or they keep moving forward as long as they're allowed. Uh, but I think they're now, there's now such a wave of institutions doing this. I think it's going to be really hard to explain to parents and students of those institutions that haven't closed down uh, you know, why haven't we? Uh, and then I think the other issue is just the equity issue, right? Is like, what, what's your student body like? Where are they from? Uh, are they local? Uh, do they have other places to go? For example, if it's a residential campus, I, I think those are the, those are the two things that, uh, institutions are weighing their, their student body on one hand and, and can they actually provide some sort of remote experience, uh, from this? So as you noted, uh, you actually reported from Houston where Tulane administrators ended up in the days after Katrina. Uh, you know, we've heard from Scott, but from your perspective, what did you learn following a 
following them in the days after Katrina that are applicable to this crisis? What did they do right, and what mistakes did they make that we can learn from? So two things I think they did right. Um, you know, they had a, a, most of their senior administrators were in in Houston, and there were all these different work groups uh, that were tackling different issues. Right, uh, Scott talked a lot about triage uh, in the uh, in the interview, and so each of these work groups was looking at a, a particular thing, including some future looking things around admissions, for example, which Scott, uh, you know, briefly uh, uh, talked about. Uh, so I think that's one thing they did right. Second was communication. I mean, Scott overly communicated, uh, and and I think that was good. And he talked a lot about the different constituencies he communicated with. You know, he may not see this uh, this way. I'm not quite sure they were. Uh, maybe as transparent as they could have been about, you know what, we're, we're kind of making this up as we go. Uh, it was it was chaotic in uh, in that hotel suite. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, they were, I think, a little afraid about having me see all that and, and report all that. Uh, I think in, in this case, it's best to be as transparent as possible with parents and students, right? Things are, some things are going to work well. Some things aren't going to work well. We're all in this together. We're going to try this out. You know, we don't have to be heroes here. Uh, and I think that too many institutional leaders are afraid of making mistakes, and so are faculty. And I think to start off right from the beginning, you know, how are you doing? Uh, and by the way, I'm going to be learning just like you uh, and be open and, and transparent about that. I mean, frankly, that's good advice as you start teaching online in a medium maybe that you haven't before to have that same humility and honesty, I think gives you more of a pass with your students, right, than sort of the expectation that this will go smoothly. Uh, but that sort of transitions, I guess, to another question that I'm curious your take on, which is we talked uh, to Scott about the need, to, uh, you know, for, for keeping students connected to Tulane as a community. I mean, frankly, there it was existential. Will it, will, will it come back as a school, right? But thinking about it from uh, the perspective of 2020 rather than 2005, what's what's your take about how colleges should be doing uh, to remain connected to students in this time of crisis? As they may not be coming back for spring break, you know the NCAA tournament is canceled. The uh, audience uh, being being there as basketball games are played, and so much of that falling away. What's your take about the the ability to stay connected and what they should be doing? Yeah, so I, I think Scott talked a lot about traveling at that time. You know, 2005, a lot of his students ended up uh, in clusters, as he talked about, and he traveled to see them. Obviously, that's not the case now. Uh, and and although maybe maybe some of your students are in clusters, but for social distancing reasons, it's not a, a good cha- a good opportunity to bring people together, right? That's not a good strategy now. But but now the online tools are so much better, right? There are so many presidents and other leaders and faculty members on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram and things like that. So I think the social media tools are great. Uh, I think that, you know, we could use Skype and, and Zoom to create virtual meetings and communities, uh, you know, email updates. Uh, all those tools are just so much better than they than they used to be uh, back in, in 2005. So I definitely think that they, they could, uh, could do that. I mean, any ideas on your end, Michael, on how to keep, you know, because we know from online education that there are ways of, of trying to keep people connected uh, uh, to each other. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say something that I've seen a lot of colleges and universities doing, which is not making this an asynchronous, exclusive experience, really keeping the rhythms and, you know, synchronicity and things of that nature. I think they should extend it beyond classes as well and create virtual gatherings uh, where students can, uh, where, where, where students can go 
uh, together and, and sort of have conversations. And even some of the clubs and things like that, you know, newspaper that obviously you and I have an affinity for and so forth, some of these activities can actually continue even when you're apart and figuring out ways to do that, I think would be prudent. Yeah. So two other thoughts uh, and then a question for you, uh, uh, Michael. He, he mentioned uh, this idea about refunds, which we're starting to see a lot of people complain about online. And, and I think Scott's suggestion there was terrific. Like, don't make any promises. Say you hear people, right? Uh, yes, we hear you. Um, we need time to think about that. And you're even seeing this, by the way, among the higher ed associations that are canceling their meetings. They're basically saying, we're looking into this and we're going to work on it. So you're not making any promises that you're, you're held to, which I thought was a pretty good, uh, pretty, pretty good piece of advice. Um, you know, we've asked a lot of our guests uh, on, on the shows that we're doing around uh, coronavirus about what college leaders can, can learn from this crisis. Uh, you know, as you, as for a takeaway for this show, you know, what are you thinking about in terms of, of what college leaders can learn? Yeah, I'd say two things. One, colleges can respond quicker than people give them credit for when their backs are against the wall. Like they rally and will move everything that they can to do the right thing for their students, but also their faculty, right? And and I think we see that in this. The second thing I would say is it's also evident from my perspective that colleges need much stronger disaster preparedness plans uh, in the future, which is more of a long-term uh, uh a piece of advice to learn from, but I think we need to be much savvier in the same way that Singapore has an e-learning week where students don't show up for the week and learn online. We need to be instituting measures like that in the United States and playing out a range of things that aren't just mirroring the last crisis, if you will, but thinking and, and forecasting what else might come down the pipeline. What about you? Yeah, I think that's a very important point, right? I think after Katrina, everybody talked about a hurricane. And then after the shooting in Virginia Tech, everybody talked about mass shooting, right? We tend to go back to what the last crisis is now. I'm sure that many enterprise risk management plans will have a pandemic uh, as part of it. The other thing that I think I've been noticing this past week is, you know, every institution kind of like recreating the wheel and in some cases copying from other institutions. This to me really speaks to the value of networks within higher education. We really need to build much more deeper and more valuable networks, which I've talked about on the show so many times, because I'm just thinking about in a crisis like this, how that could be so valuable if you were doing more course sharing between institutions, if you were sharing technology, there's all these things that could be helped uh, in, a, in, a, in a crisis like this that I think are, are critically important. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Future You. And as usual, please write to us, uh, provide us feedback online about what, uh, what we're doing right and what you don't like about the show. Uh, and until next time, thank you for listening to Future You. Hey folks, Michael Horn here. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Future You. And just a reminder to please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the podcast, rate us so that others can find us and uh, find out about the good conversations that we're having here. As always, thanks so much for listening.